Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now let's get wild. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast. I want to thank you for joining me today. Today's episode is episode number 35, Talking Upland Bird Dogs and Pheasants. I'm joined today by guest Neil Hoffs. He's an avid upland bird dog enthusiast and pheasant hunter. He's a former officer for a local chapter of Pheasants Forever and a, just like myself, longtime Pheasants Forever member. We're going to talk about his bird dogs. We're going to talk about my bird dogs. We're going to talk about training bird dogs a little bit. And then we're going to talk about the mystique that is pheasant hunting and pheasants on the landscape. How much snow do you have on the ground now? Uh, At least two, over two feet right now. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah, normally I, end of December, we usually, you know, can get out for that last weekend of pheasanting without any issues. But when I tried that last weekend, I mean, I was falling in waist deep in some of the spots. So way more than normal. Wow. Than yeah, I um, I was originally supposed to record a podcast on the way home at Pheasants Forever. Um but that was supposed to be that Monday after our trip. So um, obviously that didn't happen. So, um, well, you listened to the to the podcast episode that I did with Jared Wicklin. Yep, I did. Um, and he was telling me before we started recording that uh, some guys, that weekend that we were supposed to be out there, there were some guys he knew that were in northeast South Dakota, and it was the same deal when they would, you know, all of a sudden fall through some snow and their waist or or chest deep from the drifts and stuff so that that doesn't sound like any fun to me no and yeah that day what was it i walked about six miles i think is what it registered on my onyx map when i turned it on and i mean it was a grueling (laughs) grueling pace to sit there and high step through everything and just when you think you're safe to like walk on like a hard crustier drift only to kind of get your weight on one foot and then yeah, you sink right down to your knee or more on on that step and the dogs struggled too i mean it's one of those things yeah i was gonna ask how the dogs handle that deep snow out there uh my setter trig he with his you know he's got more of the fur between his paws and so they get all kind of iced and iced up i guess snowballs and stuff like that but my lab, she's a little bit thinner, long-legged, and she kind of managed it a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, Trig, he just always kind of stopped and laid down and chewed at his feet to get the snowballs out of his paws, basically. Yeah, my, you know, with me having two Britneys, I see that uh, every winter, even with just a couple inches on the ground, you know, after running even just in the yard, not necessarily even hunting them or anything, so... Um, I'm no stranger to the snowballs in between the toes of, of the puppies. Yeah. Yeah. I've been told too, like, you know, it's, don't be ashamed to like kind of take a clippers and kind of cut back some of that 
you know, extra fur, you know, on their paws, you know, so it doesn't collect as much. But I, I guess he just kind of deals with it in his own way. And I don't know, it's kind of good to slow him down a little bit. Otherwise, he just runs and runs. He just, <laughs> he ranges so big. And, and it's just kind of nice to have him kind of like slow down a little bit and, you know, catch his breath too, because he'll be, he'll be gassed out, you know, before you even get done with uh, a nice, decent walk. Yeah, so how how old are your two dogs? Uh, right now, Satori is four and a half, and Trig is a year and a half old. Okay, so a, a younger dog and a really a dog pretty much in her in a prime, right? Yep, for for certain. Um, yeah, my wife actually kind of surprised me with Satori. Uh, she was kind of seeing that, you know, Ellie, my previous yellow lab, uh, my first actual hunting dog, uh, she uh, saw that she was getting up there in years and slowing down a little bit. And, you know, after a good day's hunt, you know, she would basically crash on the couch or in the chair for a good day or two after each hunt. So she kind of saw the opportunity to get me a black lab uh, with Satori. Um and she's been kind of coming around, uh, just a little bit harder dog to train. Um, and, you know, Ellie kind of spoiled me when it came to my first bird dog. I mean, she was just spot on with everything. Uh, she trained nice and easy. Um, the first year she was born in October, Ellie I'm talking about now, she was a year old. Uh, when I took her f- for her first uh, pheasant hunt, because I picked her up, so I had basically the whole first year to train her. And then my dad and my brother went out to western North Dakota to a family friend's place and spent basically Thanksgiving weekend out there hunting. And um, my dad at the time had a Weimariner, um, and my brother was running a German short hair and I don't know if it was just through that first weekend of those three hunting together where Ellie picked up the pointing from those two dogs um it's tough to say but you know she just picked everything up and was pointing her first season all of these birds I mean I still remember her first point in front of me and I was lucky enough to shoot the bird and and she made the full retrieve and brought it right back to me I guess that was one of the things that was most memorable to me and I remember it was like yesterday yeah I um I have been spoiled with my two dogs um my oldest dog whiskey girl she's 11 now and I didn't really even start hunting her um there was very little training done and when I first got her and I didn't even start hunting her until she was about five or six um and then now my second dog camo she got no training and then I didn't start hunting her until she was probably four uh, and she's going to be eight. I think she's seven or eight now. Um, both those dogs are just, they're, they're just naturally gifted in what they're doing. I thought whiskey was extremely good. Um, and then all of a sudden camo really started to come into her own and, and same deal just with, with both of them. The first time they, they go on point. I mean, that's, I, I remember each of those times um very vividly in my mind and i'm I'm sure i always will uh but you know so i guess that's 
part of the reason why I want to talk to you a little bit is about, you know, training dogs. I have a dog that's older. Um, so at some point, I'm going to be trying to convince the wife, you know, hey, it, we got to get a new puppy <laughs> so I can keep this going. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, what did what do you do for training your dogs for upland hunting? Um, I guess I'll just probably start with my first dog, Ellie, you know, the lab that I got in 2005. Uh, she lived until she was 13 here, which was a year ago this last December. Um, but just when I lived in northern Minnesota, when I first got her as a pup, you know, it was winter time basically. So I didn't have a lot of opportunity uh, outside to do a lot of, you know, retrieving or anything like that. So as a puppy, it was just a lot of in the house, you know, throwing, you know, uh, a dummy or, or um, like a little stuffed animal and just kind of totter that part of it just to retrieve the hand type of thing as as we progressed. Um, and then that spring as the, you know, the thaw came, uh, snow was pretty much melted out of the yard. Um, so I just, I lived on about an acre lot. Um, and just from there, just you know, throwing things around the yard, you know, getting her to range out further with her retrieves. And it was almost basically a daily thing after work every day, just working with her just to basically burn off her energy. Um, just a great dog overall when it came to that. You know, she just picked up everything nice and I had no complaints with that. So, by the time the first hunting season came along that fall, you know, taking her out, you know, I was just kind of being open-minded, you know, kind of test her and, you know, just watch and see what she does. Um, being in northern Minnesota, I was basically, you know, not a lot of access to pheasants or anything like that. And being a North Dakota native, um I just basically waited for my two uh, seven-day hunting periods um, to make it back to North Dakota and spend the, my time wisely, basically, with her. And, um, you know, kind of back to that whole western North Dakota trip. My dad and brother and I spent, I think it was about four days total out there hunting. And that's where I got a real good gauge on how she was performing with hunting and you know it was like to my surprise seeing her pointing after her, I don't know if that was I wish I could tell you if it was just natural or if it was just having her hunting with two pointing dogs you know in a Weimariner and a German Shorthair that she picked it up from that who knows I mean it's kind of one of those mysteries that I wish I could ha have the answer to that because I don't know if I did something or if it was or if it was just, like I said, natural. Um, so, and then from there, it was just kind of pretty easy going from that, um, from my experience and just talking with other people throughout her lifetime, you know, with labs. Um, it's just kind of one of those things where the does not reach out that far. Um, you know, they stick pretty close and then being you know, having that pointing instinct in her now, you know, I hunted with great confidence over her. Um, but now kind of fast forward now to having Satori. Um, she was, I believe a year and a half when we first got her 
and um, it was a late season that I could take her out hunting. Um, and I didn't have her early on, you know, so I didn't have that early exposure with the retrieving or anything like that. So I kind of feel like I'm behind the eight ball with her uh, more so than anything. Um, just as far as, you know, not getting her the early exposure to the retrieving, you know, and feeling her out for that one. But for, I still had Ellie. She was probably about 11, 10 or 11. So there was a little overlap where I hunted Satori uh, with Ellie and got her exposed to that. And then now this year, again, when I got on birds, you know, she was kind of had that natural instinct to just kind of like stop. And she was kind of my go-to dog this year with Trig still being so young. Um, as far as like she would just kind of stop and then you could kind of tell she was kind of getting birdie because she just kind of looked down and not a real natural point to her, but she would just kind of like the way she froze and was just kind of like checking things out. Um, that was kind of my indication what I've kind of come to learn to expect from her when there's birds around. Um, so I kind of like her progression here now the last two full seasons now that I've hunted with Satori. Um, and then Trig, now I got him a year, let's see, yeah, just over a year and a half ago now. Um, and this is his first full season of hunting. And uh, he's still real new to the game yet. I was just kind of feeling him out. Um, kind of going back and forth with the breeder that I got him from. Um, a setter is kind of a new thing to me too. And early on, everybody's kind of been telling me with setters, they're a more sensitive dog. So you kind of got to take it a little bit more easier on them. You know, um, just like, you know, correction um, in the yard here, uh, like this past summer, I worked hard with them, you know, throwing dummies with uh, pheasant wings that I've clipped from, you know, in previous hunts, I preserved them and I had six or eight different wings that I would switch out with a throwing dummy. And then, um, I have, um, started on a, on a place board and I would throw it, make sure that he would wool and keep him on the board, you know, and then I got a, a collar from DT systems you know, that I would just kind of barely nick him if he indicated like he was going to start chasing it. So we worked on wool quite a bit this this summer. Um, but I know one of the things that the breeder that I got him from has been try to get him on live birds um, or basically pigeons. You know, and he's been trying to get me live pigeons to work with. And I just don't have uh, like a brooder house or a holding pen or anything like that to get anything established for for birds like that so and that's something that that's kind of his bread and butter that he goes to he's taken videos of a little coop that he's made and um everything so um his name's ed martin and i give him a lot of credit and i rely on him heavily for a lot of the tips and tricks that he's had with his english setters uh, so I can't say more than, you know, more great things about him and how patient he has been. 
uh, he'll send me YouTube videos and all that fun stuff. And it, you know, it's just some of those things that you have to kind of learn with a new breed and there's, it's a complete switch up. Um, I know a lot of people have kind of wondered, you know, why hunting a setter with a lab and I, I've kind of picked that up from another fellow hunter that, um, he's in the army and, uh, he was, I wouldn't say stationed here, but he just kind of got placed here for his two or three years and, uh, he has pointers and then he picked up a lab and, uh, when he and I hunted together, um, he had just picked up that lab. So he would have the pointers go out and then when they were on point, then he would send the lab in for, to bust up the bird and do the actual retrieve. And it was kind of like a retriever and a pointer team together. Um, but for myself, I wasn't really going for that, but it just kind of fell in place basically um, because I knew Ellie was getting a little bit older and then I just like, uh, I needed another hunting dog. I'd like to get him, you know, overlapping with Ellie and get, you know, that cross training, I guess, if you want to call it that. And, but unfortunately there wasn't a lot of that. He was just a couple months old when Ellie passed and it's just, it's one of those things that happens, I guess. So, but, um, I don't know, I guess just starting out, my philosophy has just been like, you know, feel them out for that first year and kind of negotiate it and work out those kinks, I guess, if you will, as you hunt with them. Yeah. Going back to the sort of different temperaments of the dogs. I mean, I, I grew, I've grown up with a Brittany in my household, literally my entire life. Um, so I understand their temperament and they're definitely much more sensitive to correction, uh, than like my uncle who has a black lab. Uh, I mean, she's, he jokes and calls her cement head. I mean, she just <laughs> doesn't really seem to, nothing ever seems to phase her. Um, you know, so it's definitely uh, different with that. Um, and m- the majority of the time that I'm hunting pheasants here in Pennsylvania, uh, it's myself and my dad going out with my two dogs, uh, just, you know, the two pointers, but, uh, you know, once or twice a year, uh, my uncle, you know, he'll, he'll come with us, but he'll go off on his own. Um, with his dog and every, you know, once or twice a year, we'll hunt all three dogs together. And I actually really enjoy it because my dogs are not good on retrieving. Both, both dogs will mark the bird when it comes down, um, but they're not going to bring it back where his dog, I mean, that's, that is the thing that she excels at big time. So it's nice to not have to go into the, uh, really bad brush where the bird went down <laughs> to retrieve your bird. She just goes in and, you know, busts in and grabs it and brings it back to you. It, it well, back to him. Um, but it, it's really nice to have that, that retrieving aspect. Yeah, it is. Um, and you know, I'm kind of seeing that here now too, because, you know, I don't know if it's just Trig not grasping the whole thing just yet. Um, but you know, even like the summer, you know, with the tree retrieving part of it, throwing the dummy with the feathers, you know, he would, he would tolerate the first, I don't know, five, six throws for sure. But after that, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where you kind of play it by ear and, you know, they kind of tend to kind of get bored with it type of thing. And you always try to want to keep it exciting. So, you know, after you kind of see that they're not into it anymore, 
you know, just kind of dial it back a little bit and switch it up. One thing that I know, uh, turns out I didn't screw up with my dogs because neither one of my dogs is gun shy, but I know that I screwed up in the training aspect because I was trying to train them sort of later in both of them later in life. I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind to introduce them to gunfire. Is that something that you've done with your dogs? I, yeah. And like, I, I guess I haven't like done that gradual, you know, like fire a gun off out in the distance, you know, and just kind of gradually work closer to them. You know, I've watched a few videos um, and, you know, a couple of dog trainers that I'm acquaintance with, you know, via Facebook or anywhere online type of thing. But um, no, with mine, I just kind of get out there in that natural environment and, you know, the, you know, with the birds and what have you, and it just doesn't seem to phase them. Um, but you get Trig in the house with a vacuum cleaner and he'll run and duck <laughs> under the bed somewhere else. You know, he just, he, he doesn't like anything noisy in the house. He'll go to the opposite end of the house, wherever that noise is coming from. But, um, I, I don't know what it is. If it's just the excitement of them being out there, being birdie and having that excitement, you know, I don't think they even give it a second thought with the gunfire. Yeah, the first time that my older dog ever, you know, really heard gunfire um, was, you know, I was at the cabin with with my grandfather, actually, and we watched a grouse walk across the yard. Um, So I said, well, I have the dog. It was fall turkey season. I had my shotgun, so dug out a couple of shotgun shells and we it was behind a um, ended up when we found it, it was behind a hemlock tree. And uh, she went on point and it got up and I don't, uh, to this day, I don't know how I hit it, but I, I shot and got that grouse and that was our first bird together. Um, but that was the first time she had ever really heard gunshots. So that was, um, I, from what I hear other people saying on how to train your dog, I feel like that was lucky. But then fast forward another three or four years and I have my second dog is in the pheasant in the fields with us and we're hunting pheasants and the first bird that went up I shot and she was not phased by that at all so um like you said I don't know if it's the excitement of the birds that they don't seem to mind or or if they're just uh, I just got extremely lucky on both my dogs that neither one of them seemed to be too timid when it comes to the sound of a shotgun yeah, I don't know if it's just, kind of, I guess that's my only natural conclusion to that. I mean, it's kind of the only thing that makes sense. Um, you know, growing up when I hunted with my dad and brother quite a bit, when we were first getting into um, pheasant hunting, you know, more and more, you know, we were really starting to search for our first gun dog. And I remember a black lab that we had back then, her name was Sam, complete nightmare when it came to uh shooting a gun for her um she would run in the opposite direction most of the time when we got back to the truck she was curled up underneath the truck and just sitting there shaking because she was just absolutely terrified so you know 
you know, back then being young, you know, we just kind of rolled with it. And, you know, then we're not quite certain on how to even deal with that. And she just, we just kind of tossed it up as like, well, you know, we're not going to torture her anymore by taking her out because, I mean, she's obviously just terrified from this. But, you know, it was new to us and, you know, it was kind of one of our first gun dogs when it came to bird hunting and, you know, our, you know, me and my brother ourselves were just kind of new getting into it, you know, so, you know, we're 14, 15 years old, basically. Uh, my brother's a couple of years younger than me, but, um, you know, so our, for ourselves, I mean, we were excited just to be out there having a dog or not. Um, but, you know, since getting my own personal dog, you know, and having it be Ellie, I don't know, I think she just really set the stage for me and kind of locked it in for me to be like, this is, I, I can give up golfing, I can give up fishing, but don't ever take away my pheasant hunting type of thing. Uh, just because I don't know what it is about having a dog and hunting, it just makes it that much more special i guess and i don't know i just have always appreciated it since having my own dog and training her and you know having the success that i have had for so long with her and you know it's kind of this is my first season hunting without her and i just kind of feel like my confidence has kind of dropped way off and and just like the year that we had too with it being real wet and raining and all the crops still standing early on you know i never really had the chance to hunt with satori and trig as much as i wanted to and then uh november came and went and i spent a lot of that time with my daughter uh deer hunting and then i was just kind of relying on the month of december to get my late season bird hunting in but you know it just one snowstorm after another um kind of killed a lot of my opportunities to really get out and do a lot and get the exposure that I needed for Trig and Satori this year to, you know, gauge them and work with them a little bit more on, you know, critiquing some of their things. You know, I'm still really needing to work on Trig as far as the wool. Um, I don't believe it or not, like, you know, I kind of, you know, one of those things I wished you would have been able when you were here to to see some of our bird population here, you know, in person. Um, but saying that, the last two seasons have, have been kind of like this. And I know working with Trig out there um, both years has been kind of one of those things where there's so many birds, he just wants to dive right into them, you know, and bust them up. And, you know, we really got to work on woe and there's just so much scent there for him. And I think he just gets so overly hyper with all the, the different birds jumping up all over the place. You know, it's kind of hard to restrain him, I guess. So those are things that I got to go into next spring here and really work even more diligently on is, you know, the place board, you know, I got to, get into live pigeons or chucker or something like that and you know start dealing with the live birds and making sure that he's steady and holds his point and doesn't go too crazy 
Yeah, I, just to go back real quick. I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, I don't golf. I don't fish, but I am. I've always been a, a pretty diehard archery hunter, and the whole pheasant hunting thing started for me whenever I shot an archery buck on the first day of the season, and it was like, okay, now what do I do? Um, I'm used to hunting for you know basically um, two months straight, and um, you know so I. I took my dog pheasant hunting and it was just, it was so much fun to the point now where, uh, you know, this past year, like I actively sought opportunities to pheasant hunt in where I would normally archery hunt, uh, which is, you know, a, a big change from what I've done in years past. And, and I just really, I, I can't get enough of it there. Like you said, there's just something about being there with your dog and especially whenever they find a bird, uh, whether, you know, whether you shoot it or not, uh, you know, whether it keeps flying or ends up on the ground, either way, the dogs just, they seem so happy and, um, you know, they know, um, that they did what you asked them to do. And that, that's just the see the look on their faces. That definitely makes the hunt that much better for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the last times I was able to get out, um, you know, we had a lot of great luck, just me and the two dogs, and we were done pretty much right away. And I went to go put the birds up on a on a fence post and to try to get those two dogs to settle down and, like, pose for the camera. It was like pulling teeth with them. Uh, they just knew right off to their off to their left side there, you know, they just jumped above a bunch of birds there. And and uh, they just wanted to, and like I had to take a couple pictures over and over again because they were both looking off to their left, like, hey, they're over there, you know, you, let's go get them, you know. It's just, you, you know, that's that's what they're thinking. You can see it on their face, you know, and their their attention is distracted over and where the birds are, you know, and they don't want to just sit there and take pictures. They want to go get more, you know, but. You know, in North Dakota here, our daily limit is only three birds. And so that was one of those things where we just buzzed out, hunted that one spot, and we were done, you know, within a couple hours, basically, if it was even that. So, but yeah, it's just hunting with dogs. I don't know. There's, I don't think anything better out there. Um, you know, I've been the recipient of, you know, going out, spending days ice fishing or even fishing from the boat and have had the pleasure of catching a 30 inch walleye but i don't know i would give up those 30 inch walleyes for you know just more days of fez hunting with the dogs i don't know it's just there's something about it i i don't know what it is and there's just an appreciation that i have for how the dogs just get excited for it and their willingness to you know be out there with you and they're just excited to be out there I don't know it, it's just I don't know it's just one of those bonds that I can't explain that I love being out there with them and I don't know how else to put that into words so everything we've sort of been talking about with with the upland dogs is focusing around pheasants for the most part um that's you know how we sort of met and started our friendship um so i'm going to ask you the same question that i asked jared wickland of pheasants forever you know 
what is it about pheasants that causes people to be so passionate? So, you know, just a couple episodes ago, he talked about how there's a pheasants forever chapter in Hawaii, uh, which is mind blowing to both of us. I mean, but pheasants are, are a non-native bird to North America, but yet we, you know, people like you and me and other pheasants forever members are actively trying to make the habitat so that we have pheasants. So, you know, what is it about that bird? I, so what probably gets me all hyped up about it is, I I don't know, just to kind of set the stage is I would prefer doing late season hunting when there's snow on the ground. Um, So just, you know, seeing the fresh snow and then start seeing pheasant tracks, you know, through the snow. And when your dog goes on point, whether it be like in a clump of grass or um, I hunt a lot of cattail sloughs. So when your dog is going on point and you're getting ready to go and when you hear that rooster cackling and busting up through the cattails or the grass and the snow goes flying everywhere, you know, I don't know. It's just those couple seconds of that, it's just kind of an adrenaline rush. And I don't know, I've hunted grouse, uh, the rough grouse um, and sharp tails. Um, I haven't really gotten into much of anything else like chuck or quail or anything like that, but um, everybody kind of says the rough grouse is the king, uh, but I don't know, I kind of beg to differ with that one, just because it's just of the way the bird is, explodes, you know, I don't know, there's just something wily about them, um, you know, they, they are a challenge to hunt, especially late season when they start grouping up. You know, they're tough to get up on and I don't know. It's just, it's the challenge. It's the excitement that when they're busting up out of the snow and into the air and that long streaming tail as it ripples through the air, I don't know. It's just, there's something about it that I don't know. I don't think I can ever give it up. Yeah, without a doubt, they are uh, beautiful birds, which people that don't hunt, don't understand that relationship of seeing something that's beautiful and still deciding, you know, to kill it. Um, but I mean, they're, they're absolutely beautiful whenever you can look at them up close. And, and like I said, that hearing that cackle, uh, is definitely, um, exciting. And if you're not careful, it can sort of mesmerize you and you end up not getting a shot off that you planned <laughs> that you plan to take whenever you set out from the truck. Yeah, and I, yeah, it's just something about their color pattern too. Like I, I think if you got one bird and you took pictures of you know all the different parts of their body and their their feathers, yeah, I, there's just such an array of color and patterns, and I don't know, they're just a unique bird to be here, even though they're not a native species to to the United States, um, but. Yeah, I, I know exactly, you know, Jared was saying that in your in your last podcast. And um, being a Pheasants Forever member myself for 10 years now, I've up until last year, I was an active member in our chapter for nine of those years. And uh, so I kind of got to know a lot of the background of, you know, they first landed in Oregon in the late 1860s and kind of knowing all that stuff, you know, it's kind of a cool background story and how they were introduced here. And um, 
yeah, I'm just glad I have the privilege of being able to to hunt the birds and living in the area that I can hear them in the morning when I go to work because, you know, there's a little local brood right on the outskirts of town here that they're kind of our our home birds, I guess, if you will. And, you know, they even venture right into town here and walk through our backyard from time to time, too. That, that you know, being from Pennsylvania and, and with our choices of what turned out to be habitat destruction for pheasants, um, you know, not having a wild pheasant population now, we just have stocked birds to hunt, um, you know, that the birds that we saw going 75 miles an hour down the road in North Dakota uh, and still being able to see them in the fields and how many we saw, it's just, it, it's mind blowing to me that there are places where there are that many wild pheasants. Yeah, it's the, you know, with North Dakota, they always kind of do a, a regional breakdown, like the, northwest northeast southwest and southeast the four corners i guess if you will of the state and you know the north Dakota game and fish put out that survey this past fall and you know it was nice to see that our region here was up you know i don't remember the exact number but you know i think the only the only side of the state that saw a decrease was the southwest which is you know been predominantly always the the mecca of North Dakota for pheasant numbers, but, you know, just kind of the last couple of years, a rash of, you know, bad storms, um, whether it be hail this last summer that wiped out the, the stock that was starting to come back. And then I think that was two, maybe three years ago now that there was a real um, early, like October snowstorm that went through. I mean, it was pretty pretty bad that it even killed cattle in some in some areas because of the way the snow drifted around where they were kind of ducked down out of the way. It just suffocated a bunch of cattle back then, and it was a huge loss of birds um, at that point. But you know that kind of the, that part of the state is still trying to rebound from from two you know bad years of you know some freak storms that have wiped them out and you know lucky for us here on this end of the state you know we've had some consistent habitat um you know just being part of the pheasants forever chapter here um you know being part of you know the fundraising efforts for helping the state of north dakota or the game and fish department you know help purchase you know 90 acres here 40 acres is there um, next to some prime uh, habitat. Um, we have a teal walk in Wild Refuge, too far from where I go hunting. Um, we were able to help about 40 acres with some funding from the chapel. Uh, within about 10 miles from where I currently, um, you know, we helped purchase about 90 acres of wildlife habitat, which is then turned into uh, PLOTS, which um, stands for Private Land Open to Sportsmen's, um, which we can get into later. But, you know, that's just my involvement with pheasants. And when I moved back to North Dakota, it was kind of always one of those things where I want to be involved with pheasants forever. Um, I have a dog that 
wants to hunt and I just want to partake and help wherever I can with, you know, helping with fundraising efforts to secure and, uh, you know, conserve some of that wildlife habitat that we have here. And we rely so much on for the birds and um, just as luck would have it, we've been really fortunate to see our numbers really bounce back because when I was growing up, you know, right after getting my hunter safety and all the pheasant hunting I did, we had to travel quite a ways west, like one to two hours before we got on birds. Um, now we're, I'm originally from, you know, my brother farms yet to this day. And, you know, he's seeing birds all over the place, you know, right in the backyard of where he and I grew up. So it's nice to see that those birds have come back and been basically introduced at that, you know, somewhere, you know, that they hadn't been when, you know, he and I were growing up. Um, but, and prior to that, I remember I must've been in fifth grade, I believe my dad, um, moved a brooder house onto our property and, and, um, we built the caged in fence and I want to say it was like 300 baby pheasants that he brought home and we basically raised them for the summer. And right before pheasant season, uh, we coordinated with the local game warden and we went out and released all those birds on, you know, what we considered prime habitat back then, which, you know, what that is today, you know, is, not much. I mean, they're just being a real agricultural area, you know, there's just isn't a lot of the, the acres there for that are ideal for, you know, like CRP or any of those types of, you know, um, acres for sustaining wild habitat, like the pheasants or deer or anything like that. It was just mostly fields of corn, wheat, or beans, you know, that's the predominant thing around there. But, um, but I wanted to say when we attempted to go out hunting, I think we probably only shot one of 300 of those birds, you know, that I recall, um, that we released back then. So I don't know. It's just, it's always been in my life, pheasants and pheasant hunting, and even at an early age, you know, raising those birds with that. So they're quite a species that, I don't know, between their beautiful colors and the way they behave, I don't know, and just hunting them in general has just always been intriguing to me. And like I said, I don't think I could ever give it up for anything. Well, we're about running up on time now. Uh, so uh, there's still a lot more to unpack and that I, that I want to continue this conversation. So we'll definitely have you back on. Uh, to talk a little bit more about the plots program and um, a little more about, you know, the CRP and some of the things you mentioned, but I want to thank you for coming on. This was definitely a good conversation to have. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. And I look forward to some follow-ups on, on, uh, on those topics. Well, that's it for another episode. I really enjoyed this talk with Neil. Definitely plan on having him on again. Unfortunately, 
our planned hunt didn't work out because of a, a blizzard that was going to roll through North Dakota, which ended up happening. The episode that we referred to a couple times with Jared Wickland of Pheasants Forever is episode number 33, so you know if you haven't listened to that one, go back, listen to episodes ago. There was some great information on just what it is that Pheasants Forever does. Uh, this has spurred me into looking at some breeders and talking to a couple breeders uh, about acquiring a new Brittany puppy. So not something we plan on, my wife and I plan on doing uh, in the near future, but uh, to really get a, a quality hunting dog, even uh, the quality that I'm going, that I need uh, for in the woods, uh, in the fields, you really got to get on that, that waiting list and start talking to these breeders and figure out what is going to work with you and who you want to work with uh, to go about getting a puppy to get these sort of higher quality puppies, you really oftentimes need to be on a waiting list because they're in high demand whenever it's coming from a quality breeder. Not that saying that other dogs can't be good hunters. My two dogs are wonderful examples of good hunters coming from just very normal stock for the most part. But if you really want to take your game to the next level, which is something that I intend to do here in the next couple of years, uh, you really need to, it's advisable to go to a real quality breeder, you know, someone who's doing things right, whether it's coming, you know, that puppy's coming from good stock or not. You really need to make sure that the breeder is doing what's supposed to be done as far as breeding dogs and, and not running a puppy mill and things like that. So uh, you just, you need to talk to them ahead of time, find out how they do things, find out why they pair uh the two parents together, you know, what they're trying to get out of that dog and make sure that dog is fitting your lifestyle and, and what you tend to uh, use your dog for. You know, if you're just looking for that dog to sit at home and, and be your companion at home, you don't want to go with a high drive dog. Uh, that's not fair to the dog. It's not fair to you. But if you're looking to hunt your dog multiple days a year, then you definitely want to go for that high drive, a, a dog that is able to go out with you. Again, if they're not used to that, that's not fair to them. It'd be like asking someone to you know, run a half marathon whenever they live a pretty sedentary lifestyle. So, um, you know, it's just really common sense stuff. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we're going to switch gears from pheasants to deer, back to deer. So we will be talking next week with Matt Ross of the QDMA. And learning, you know, what's next after you learn some information from deer, what's the next step? What can we do to really, you know, we talked before on um, episode number 30, next level deer knowledge, but how do we even take it to the next step after that? So we'll be talking about that that next week, and I hope you join us. Until next time, stay wild. Mm -hmm.